0: this is the jay doherty podcast and now broadcasting live from downtown chicago here's your host jay doherty
1: well everyone welcome back to another episode of the jay doherty podcast 749 right now 31 degrees in chicago and uh, i am here to bring you live special coverage of the State of the Union address, Mike Pence right now speaking at the podium alongside uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who is uh, joined up there, and expected to be joined by President Donald Trump, who, uh, from what I'm seeing here, has not arrived yet uh, on on uh, to the location of the State of the Union, which is, of course the the Capitol building. He's not there yet. Uh, from what I know, uh, and I'm monitoring the uh, the motorcade here. They have cameras all over, monitoring his direct path, make sure he's secure and everything, and uh, it'll be pretty interesting to see exactly what happens. We see the first family, and uh, if you're listening live, I welcome you very, very uh, graciously. Uh, I, at the top row here, among others, we see Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, uh, Eric Trump's uh, wife, I believe that is up there. I don't see Don Jr. I don't see... I don't know. It looks like uh, Jared Kushner, Ivanka, from what I'm seeing here in this row, are the only members of the first family who are attending this State of the Union in person. Let's see what's happening now. Uh, there are. It appears to be that uh, Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence just gave the uh, or, you know order request to everyone, and uh, that seems to be the case right now. Sorry, I was a little bit late. I anticipated to come on about five minutes earlier, but. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening, and I wanted to make sure. There was actually a couple technical difficulties setting up the live stream for today, which was uh, a little bit uh, unexpected. Oh, and it looks like uh, Tiffany Trump is there, too. I did not see. Maybe Don Jr. Uh, was greeting other people. That seemed to be what Tiffany and others were doing. So, pretty interesting there. So, uh, yeah, that looks as what it's supposed to be. The theme for this uh, State of the Union, which I found pretty interesting, was. Greatness. Uh, that that was that was the whole <laughs> and that was the whole premise of this. Choosing greatness. That was the theme set by Trump himself, and uh, I thought that's a pretty interesting theme. And it's almost like uh, I don't know. I I mean, it brings on many jokes because his administration, just from what he says, doesn't seem to be. Uh, (laughs) the closest to great, at least from what I've seen, and the the performance, of course, the economy has been doing very well, uh, but, you know, in terms of jobs growth and and, and other things, but I don't know. I I don't know if greatness would be exactly the first word that comes to mind when describing this presidency or the potential future of it. Emphasis on potential. I'm kidding. Uh, But anyway, the, the thing is choosing greatness, that's the theme, Uh, late-night hosts, of course, brought very, very funny jokes to this. They said, there's actually four choices for this. Choice number A, choosing greatness. Choice number B, selecting mediocrity. C, settling for racists. Or D, fish. That's, uh, Stephen Colbert there making some jokes about that. I see a bunch of prominent people. Uh, one most prominent, Chewy Garcia, I see, Chicago native, of course. He ran for mayor a couple times here in the city. But I see, see a bunch of people uh a couple notable ones i saw Cory Booker walk in, walked in along with uh, Kamala Harris and it looks like there's something uh, important about to happen here cuz president trump looks like he is about to walk in let's bring in the live feed right now see if we can catch trump walking in it's 7:52 right now just for the record and uh trump will probably walk in just a couple minutes before or at exactly eight o'clock it'll be very interesting we'll pick up this feed here coming directly to you by the new york times let's see Mr Trump is ready here. Let's see what exactly what happens when he walks in. I can't wait to hear the announcement where he says you know, the speaker, the vice president, president of the United States. Pretty pretty epic moment only in America that happens. Just a little bit of a fun fact before we get things going here. The doors are officially closed, but just to warm things up a little bit, uh, the, the, um, joint, uh, the, the person, you know, people are asking me this, and we'll talk about poll numbers and, you know, audience interaction at the end, but Sergeant-at-Arms is the person who uh, announces the president when he says that very grand intro. And so that that's, that's the person that you hear uh, when the president is being announced, and... You know, when he says, Mr. President, you know, that that, that whole thing. So, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how he presents it. Now, of course, he, traditionally it's been Mr. Speaker, Mr. Vice President, I believe. I don't know, maybe they'll say uh, it'll be for the first time Mrs. Speaker, Mr. Vice President. So, it'll be interesting. The doors are officially closed, so any uh, Straddlers in terms of, you know, being there on time are out. It looks like Nancy Pelosi is calling order. All right, Supreme Court Justices walking in, Associate Justices, let's see if we see. Of course, they. I believe, from what I know, they walk in based off of uh, how long they've been or their prominence. Neil Gorsuch among Brett Kavanaugh and some others who were recently put into the office. Uh, so very interesting to see some new faces as we walk in here. Brett Kavanaugh, Neil Gorsuch among others. There are uh, tons of new faces in the Supreme Court, just like there are tons of new faces Within this whole branch of government, it's pretty interesting the seating placement. Two Republicans sitting right next to each other, two pretty left leaning, at least historically, sitting next to each other. And it looks like they're coming in from newest to latest. It seems a little bit more quiet in the room. I think people are settling down, waiting for the president to come in. It's 7 55 right now, so expect him to come in in about five minutes. John Roberts, the Chief Justice, is right there. Of course, he is pretty historic, and he's made some big decisions. Yeah, uh, you know, within state of the union, and uh, within the Supreme Court. I actually was lucky enough to meet him one time, on a trip to Washington D.C. with my class. That was pretty cool. Uh, very lucky to meet him, and it was it was funny. We he did a Q&A with a lot of people, and. Uh, he did a great job. At the same time, the president of uh, South Korea was actually there. It's so a little bit of a fun fact that, uh, about that. And uh, let's see how many people we have on the live stream now. It looks like about 47 people watching right now on the live stream. Probably a couple hundred more will download the episode, so that'll be great. I want to bring this coverage to as many people as possible. The coverage today brought to you by Blueberry. Go to j-doherty.com slash B-L-U-B-R-R-Y to learn more about what they do for podcast promotion, hosting, and affiliation. And uh, you can also use the code Doherty at checkout, all one word, if you want to get a month free of their amazing service. I don't mean to fill this whole commentary with <laughs> sponsor messages, but they do make... I mean, they physically make you listen to this because... They host the me- or they uh, they bring you the media. They syndicate the podcast. And uh, oh, that Melania Trump, uh, first lady, just walked in to the building. People clapping for her, of course. No announcement, of course, just traditionally. But uh, she is walking in, and uh, everyone seems to be standing up and clapping for her for probably an array of reasons, I would assume. She hasn't been seen in public. Uh, She went on a stride for about 40 days or so where she wasn't seen in public. Uh, But she is out and she's uh, meeting with people. You know, she actually invited, and I believe she's sitting next to or near, uh, Joshua Trump, who is not related to the Trump family, but was bullied at school. He's a 6th grader. uh, He was 11 years old. He still is 11 years old, of course. He was bullied for his name, and she invited him to the state of the union to show those kids that, you know, that's not right. They shouldn't bully kids for their name. It was in Delaware and of course Delaware historically and in the polls have been very democrat and left leaning, so that's uh interesting. It looks like the president is just about to walk in. It's 7:58 right now, so uh, at the last minute here. We'll see what happens. it will be very interesting. Uh one of the topics I believe and I don't want to mess up the introduction of the president here. But uh, one of the topics, I believe, will be the shutdown and, of course, unity, or division, or both. And also uh, the potential effort to either shut down the government again or declare a national emergency. I did a poll. We'll share share the results of that poll that I did on the website, j jdashdory.com. Tomorrow, I uh, hope that we can have a lot of polls come out, and it looks like... There's the president's cabinet. Tons of new people walking in on that. It's a pretty large cabinet, of course, as it always is. Same number, but um, very interesting. You know that uh, guy Steve Bernhardt was promoted just recently uh, to to uh, lead the Interior, who's his interior Secretary. And uh, that is what's happening right now. All the cabinet members more prominently. We see Wilbur Ross, of course, and the guy who... Advised people to uh, liquidate their stocks and sell their paintings during the government shutdown. It's obviously a joke if you get the reference. Uh, and we see um, Housing and Urban, or Urban Development uh, Secretary Ben Carson walking in, among many others, uh, to this historic event. Oh, and it looks like, uh, of course, because William Barr has not been confirmed yet acting attorney general Matt Whitaker who recently confirmed to us that he is uh, that the Mueller investigation is close to being complete walking in there along with many other cabinet members not sure if there's uh, been a lot of acting positions that have been uh, you know rolled in or at least walked in uh you know through things but i believe historically uh the cabinet are the uh, last people to walk in before the president so very interesting. There, it's eight o'clock on the dot right now as we watch the time. It'll be interesting to open there. I don't want to lose my feet There it is, right back there. A B- bunch of people walking in here uh, to the room, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, what this what uh, the 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 Union State of Union address is all about this year. And also, I mean, more so, I think it's interesting it just and has been this way forever to see who claps, who doesn't, especially the republicans. Of course the democrats are basically and there's actually a great article about this written recently. The democrats have a no tolerance policy for Trump at this point. And it's 8:01 as I say that, so one minute late. <laughs> uh but no, and, and, you know, the democrats have been adopting this n- no tolerance policy for Trump. Oh, and you know, that might be actually the delay of the stream. So maybe it uh maybe he just walked in in real time and just taking a little bit on uh the stream. But that's government. They're always late. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's really interesting to see what Republicans will stand, what Republicans will not stand. Also, it's interesting to see when the generals stand, when they don't stand. You know, they have to remain, regardless of their own personal political beliefs, the generals, the people in the military, they have to remain completely, 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 centered in their belief they can only clap and stand for things that are you know that both Democrats and Republicans can undoubtedly agree upon you know things like when they bring troops back home uh, and you know it avoided massive spending massive casualty massive massive emotional stress on the troops and their parents so it'll be interesting to see what the generals stand for and clap for what they don't. Mitt Romney and Rand Paul are just being shown sitting next to each other in the State of the Union. Two interesting figures who, of course, did not. They both ran for president. Both did not get in (laughs) at two different times, of course. Uh, So, yeah, it'll be very interesting. It looks like the president is just about to walk in. Nancy Pelosi and uh, Mike Pence standing right beside each other. All the networks airing this. CBS, NBC, ABC, PBS, and so many others airing. This State of the Union. Very interesting to see exactly what happens. Trump actually changed his Twitter banner, and I talked about this in the previous episode, to a State of the Union graphic. So uh, we'll see exactly what happens with uh, everything that's going on right now. And it, they, it looks like uh, <laughs> the, the source I'm watching this from, which is, of course, the New York Times. Oh, there's Trump. I see him in the background. They're about to introduce him here. Let's see exactly what happens. This is gonna be very interesting. Sergeant in arms is gonna introduce him here. Here we go. President of the United States. Madam Speaker, the President of the United States. There he is, Donald Trump walking in right now to State of the Union address. Shaking everyone's hand right there, you know. I, I wonder how much it costs to you get know, an aisle seat over there, so you can shake the president's hand. That's an old joke, terrible joke, but it's a funny joke. Secret Service, you know, the, the, the only reason the Secret Service are there pushing, you know, away and existing is because they want to. They want to make sure the press stays away from Trump, gets the cameras a little bit back, because they don't want, uh, they don't, they don't want the press to harass them physically, as they already do emotionally and mentally. So. That's why. Tons of applause, of course, coming from both sides. Traditionally, even if... I mean, we've never had a president historically as radical as Trump. Uh, but... Uh, it looks like uh, everyone's clapping for him, as they normally do. So, very interesting. You know, Sarah Sanders this uh, morning was on CNN, CNN's uh, morning show, New Day, where they pressed her on what Trump is going to talk about in this speech. She gave no answer, as normal, which is un- which is expected in this scenario because, uh, you know, she she I mean, you can't spoil a so-to address, can you? No, you can't. That's the answer. All right, looks like he's coming down here, uh, about to go to the first row. He's uh oh, handshaking John Roberts. That's pretty awkward, as he just recently attacked him on Twitter. And he just finished walking down the podium, people escorting him through. Oh, he just shook Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch's hand, and now shaking his military general's hands as well. Alrighty, it uh, looks like he's making making his way up to the podium here. And, yeah, he's, let's, see, let's see his interaction here with uh, Nancy Pelosi and and uh, Mike Pence. Oh, no, his tie is off-center. Oh, boy, that's a mistake. His tie, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter, but I don't know if that's that's been a, a big subject of debate or anyone's paid attention to it. Overwhelming applause there, and it looks like he's stepping up to the podium right now, right here, to deliver the State of the Union address. See if he goes on teleprompter and sticks to the script. Without further ado, here. And it looks like he's continuing to wave to people. (laughs) So I don't want to mess up and I want to time my introduction properly. Without, Without further ado, here is 45th President of the United States of America. Or as some say, the Divided States of America at the moment. Perhaps his speech will contain some about it. As everyone continues to clap. Here is right now, right here, in the State of the Union. You can tell I'm stalling. The 45th president of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump. Let's see if this applause ever fades so I can just get on with the intro. Wow, there's a lot of mute faces in the audience. Some, I mean, while it seems pretty overwhelming... Uh, it, it, uh, it's not exactly... Uh, Everyone who's clapping for him, so pretty interesting. Looks like it's dying down a little bit, and yeah, everyone's sitting down. So now I can officially give my intro the 45th President of the United States, Donald John Trump,
0: Madam Speaker, Mr. Vice President, members of Congress, the First Lady of the United States.
1: Trump a little bit to to, to start clapping for her. He looked her dead on and said, "You
0: know, why don't you stand up?" (laughs) That was the body language communicated, and then started clapping. And my fellow Americans, we meet tonight at a moment of unlimited potential. As we begin a new Congress, I stand here ready to work with you to achieve historic breakthroughs for all Americans. Millions of our fellow citizens are watching us now gathered in this great chamber, hoping that we will govern not as two parties, but as one nation.
1: That is true, that is true. Of course, a very prominent talking point historically for, for presidents to say that, but true that, true that. The generals and the Supreme Court, uh, Supreme Court Justice is not standing for that one. Particularly because the work agenda doesn't...
0: I will lay out this evening is not a Republican agenda or a Democrat agenda. It's the agenda of the American people. Many of us have campaigned on the same core promises: to defend American jobs and demand fair trade for American workers, to rebuild and revitalize our nation's infrastructure to reduce the price of health care and prescription drugs, to create an immigration system that is safe, lawful, modern, and secure, and to pursue a foreign policy that puts America's interest first. There is a new opportunity in American politics if only we have the courage together to seize it.
1: It took a little while for the Republicans to start clapping. It's only Republicans, seems like.
0: Victory is not winning for our party, victory is winning for our country.
1: All right, well, yeah, you said that about three times. You're going to the, uh, get to the meat of this. Everyone seems to be standing for that. I'm going to let this play out and let you uh, discern exactly what you mean, and I'll give my commentary and analysis after the speech is over. This
0: year, America will recognize two important anniversaries that show us the majesty of America's mission and the power of American pride. In June, we mark 75 years since the start of what General Dwight D. Eisenhower called the Great Crusade, the Allied liberation of Europe in World War II. On D-Day, June 6, 1944, 15,000 young American men jumped from the sky, and 60,000 more stormed in from the sea to save our civilization from tyranny. Here with us tonight are three of those incredible heroes, Private First Class Joseph Riley, Staff Sergeant Irving Locker, and Sergeant Herman Zaitchek. gentlemen, we salute you. In 2019, we also celebrate 50 years since brave young pilots flew a quarter of a million miles through space to plant the American flag on the face of the moon. Half a century later, we are joined by one of the Apollo 11 astronauts who planted that flag Buzz Aldrin. Thank you, Buzz. This year, American astronauts will go back to space on American rockets. In the 20th century, America saved freedom, transformed science, redefine the middle class. And when you get down to it, there's nothing anywhere in the world that can compete with America. Now we must step boldly and bravely into the next chapter of this great American adventure. And we must create a new standard of living for the 21st century. An amazing quality of life for all of our citizens is within reach. We can make our community safer, our family stronger, our culture richer, our faith deeper, and our middle class bigger and more prosperous than ever before. But we must reject the politics of revenge resistance, and retribution, and embrace the boundless potential of cooperation, compromise, and the common good. Together, we can break decades of political stalemate. We can bridge old divisions, heal old wounds, build new coalitions, forge new solutions, and unlock the extraordinary promise of America's future. The decision is ours to make. We must choose between greatness or gridlock, results or resistance, vision or vengeance, incredible progress, or pointless destruction. Tonight, I ask you to choose greatness. Over the last two years, my administration has moved with urgency and historic speed to confront problems neglected by leaders of both parties over many decades. In just over two years since the election, we have launched an unprecedented economic boom, a boom that has rarely been seen before. There's been nothing like it. We have created 5.3 million new jobs, and importantly added 600,000 new manufacturing jobs, something which almost everyone said was impossible to do. But the fact is, we are just getting started. are rising at the fastest pace in decades and growing for blue-collar workers who I promise to fight for they're growing faster than anyone else thought possible nearly 5 million Americans have been lifted off food stamps. The U.S. economy is growing almost twice as fast today as when I took office. And we are considered far and away the hottest economy anywhere in the world, not even close. Unemployment has reached the lowest rate in over half a century. African-American, Hispanic-American, and Asian-American unemployment have all reached their lowest levels ever recorded. (laughs) Unemployment for Americans with disabilities has also reached an all-time low. More people are working now than at any time in the history of our country, 157 million people at work. we passed a massive tax cut for working families and doubled the child tax credit. We virtually ended the estate tax, or death tax, as it is often called, on small businesses for ranches, and also for family farms. We eliminated the very unpopular Obamacare individual mandate penalty. and to give critically ill patients access to life-saving cures, we passed, very importantly, Right to Try. My administration has cut more regulations in a short period of time than any other administration during its entire tenure. (laughs) Companies are coming back to our country in large numbers thanks to our historic reductions in taxes and regulations. And we have unleashed a revolution in American energy. The United States is now the number one producer of oil and natural gas anywhere in the world. Now, for the first time in 65 years, we are a net exporter of energy. After 24 months of rapid progress, our economy is the envy of the world our military is the most powerful on earth by far and america <laughs> America is again winning each and every day Members of Congress, the state of our union is strong. That sounds so good. <laughs> our country is vibrant, and our economy is thriving like never before. One Friday, it was announced that we added another 304,000 jobs last month alone, almost double the number expected. An economic miracle is taking place in the United States, and the only thing that can stop it are foolish wars, politics, or ridiculous partisan investigations. If there is going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. It just doesn't work that way. We must be united at home to defeat our adversaries abroad. This new era of cooperation can start with finally confirming the more than 300 highly qualified nominees who are still stuck in the Senate, in some cases, years and years waiting, not right. The Senate has failed to act on these nominations, which is unfair to the nominees and very unfair to our country. Now is the time for bipartisan action. Believe it or not, we have already proven that that's possible. In the last Congress, both parties came together to pass unprecedented legislation to confront the opioid crisis, a sweeping new farm bill, historic VA reforms, and after four decades of rejection, we passed VA accountability so that we can finally terminate those who mistreat our wonderful veterans. just weeks ago, both parties united for groundbreaking criminal justice reform. They said it couldn't be done. Last year, I heard through friends the story of Alice Johnson. I was deeply moved. In 1997, Alice was sentenced to life in prison as a first-time nonviolent drug offender. Over the next 22 years, she became a prison minister, inspiring others to choose a better path. She had a big impact on that prison population and far beyond. Alice's story underscores the disparities and unfairness that can exist in criminal sentencing and the need to remedy this total injustice. She served almost that 22 years and had expected to be in prison for the remainder of her life. In June, I commuted Alice's sentence. When I saw Alice's beautiful family greet her at the prison gates hugging and kissing and crying and laughing, I knew I did something right. Alice is with us tonight, and she is a terrific woman. Terrific. Alice, please. Thank you for reminding us that we always have the power to shape our own destiny. Thank you very much, Alice. Thank you very much. <laughs> Inspired by stories like Alice's, my administration worked closely with members of both parties to sign the First Step Act into law. Big deal. It's a big deal. This legislation reformed sentencing laws that have wrongly and disproportionately harmed the African American community. The First Step Act gives nonviolent offenders the chance to reenter society as productive, law-abiding citizens. Now, states across the country are following our lead. America is a nation that believes in redemption We are also joined tonight by Matthew Charles from Tennessee. In 1996, at the age of 30, Matthew was sentenced to 35 years for selling drugs and related offenses. Over the next two decades, he completed more than 30 Bible studies, became a law clerk, and mentored many of his fellow inmates. Now, Matthew is the very first person to be released from prison under the First Step Act. Matthew, please. Thank you, Matthew. Welcome home. Now, Republicans and Democrats must join forces again to confront an urgent national crisis. Congress has 10 days left to pass a bill that will fund our government protect our homeland, and secure our very dangerous southern border. Now is the time for Congress to show the world that America is committed to ending illegal immigration and putting the ruthless coyotes, cartels, drug dealers, and human traffickers out of business. we speak, large, organized caravans are on the march to the United States. We have just heard that Mexican cities, in order to remove the illegal immigrants from their communities, are getting trucks and buses to bring them up to our country in areas where there is little border protection. I have ordered another 3,750 troops to our southern border to prepare for this tremendous onslaught. This is a moral issue. The lawless state of our southern border is a threat to the safety, security, and financial well-being of all America. We have a moral duty to create an immigration system that protects the lives and jobs of our citizens. This includes our obligation to the millions of immigrants living here today who followed the rules and respected our laws. Legal immigrants enrich our nation and strengthen our society in countless ways. I want people to come into our country in the largest numbers ever, but they have to come in legally. Tonight, I am asking you to defend our very dangerous southern border out of love and devotion to our fellow citizens and to our country. No issue better illustrates the divide between America's working class and America's political class than illegal immigration. Wealthy politicians and donors push for open borders while living their lives behind walls and gates and guards. Meanwhile, working-class Americans are left to pay the price for mass illegal immigration, reduced jobs, lower wages, overburdened schools, hospitals that are so crowded you can't get in, increased crime, and a depleted social safety net. Tolerance for illegal immigration is not compassionate. It is actually very cruel. One in three women is sexually assaulted on the long journey north. Smugglers use migrant children as human pawns to exploit our laws and gain access to our country. Human traffickers and sex traffickers take advantage of the wide open areas between our ports of entry to smuggle thousands of young girls and women into the United States and to sell them into prostitution and modern-day slavery. Tens of thousands of innocent Americans are killed by lethal drugs that cross our border and flood into our cities, including meth, heroin, cocaine, and fentanyl. The savage gang, MS-13, now operates in at least 20 different American states, and they almost all come through our southern border. Just yesterday, an MS-13 gang member was taken into custody for a fatal shooting on a subway platform in New York City. We are removing these gang members by the thousands But until we secure our border, they're going to keep streaming right back in. Year after year, countless Americans are murdered by criminal, illegal aliens. I've gotten to know many wonderful angel moms and dads and families. No one should ever have to suffer the horrible heartache that they have had to endure. Here tonight is Deborah Bissell. Just three weeks ago, Deborah's parents, Gerald and Sharon, were burglarized and shot to death in their Reno, Nevada home by an illegal alien. They were in their 80s and are survived by four children, 11 grandchildren, and 20 great-grandchildren. Also here tonight are Gerald and Sharon's granddaughter, Heather, and great-granddaughter, Madison. To Deborah, Heather Madison, please stand. Few can understand your pain. Thank you, and thank you for being here. Thank you very much. I will never forget, and I will fight for the memory of Gerald and Sharon, that it should never happen again. Not one more American life should be lost because our nation failed to control its very dangerous border. In the last two years, our brave ICE officers made 266,000 arrests of criminal aliens, including those charged or convicted of nearly 100,000 assaults, 30,000 sex crimes, and 4,000 killings or murders. We are joined tonight by one of those law enforcement heroes, ICE Special Agent Elvin Hernandez. When Elvin... When Elvin was a boy, he and his family legally immigrated to the United States from the Dominican Republic. At the age of eight, Elvin told his dad he wanted to become a special agent. Today, he leads investigations into the scourge of international sex trafficking. Elvin says that if I can make sure these young girls get their justice. I've really done my job. Thanks to his work and that of his incredible colleagues, more than 300 women and girls have been rescued from the horror of this terrible situation. And more than 1,500 sadistic traffickers have been put behind bars. Thank you. Abby. We will always support the brave men and women of law enforcement. And I pledge to you tonight that I will never abolish our heroes from ICE. Thank you. My administration has sent to Congress a common-sense proposal to end the crisis on the southern border. It includes humanitarian assistance, more law enforcement, drug detection at our ports, closing loopholes that enable child smuggling, and plans for a new physical barrier or wall to secure the vast areas between our ports of entry. In the past, most of the people in this room voted for a wall but the proper wall never got built. I will get it built. This is a smart, strategic, see-through steel barrier not just a simple concrete wall. It will be deployed in the areas identified by the border agents as having the greatest need. And these agents will tell you, where walls go up, illegal crossings go way, way down. San Diego used to have the most illegal border crossings in our country. In response, a strong security wall was put in place. This powerful barrier almost completely ended illegal crossings. The border city of El Paso, Texas used to have extremely high rates of violent crime, one of the highest in the entire country and considered one of our nation's most dangerous cities. Now, immediately upon its building, with a powerful barrier in place, El Paso is one of the safest cities in our country. Simply put, Walls work, and Walls save lives. So let's work together, compromise, and reach a deal that will truly make America safe. As we work to defend our people's safety, We must also ensure our economic resurgence continues at a rapid pace. No one has benefited more from our thriving economy than women who have filled 58 percent of the newly created jobs last year. You weren't supposed to do that. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All Americans can be proud that we have more women in the workforce than ever before. Don't sit yet, you're going to like this. (laughs) And exactly one century after Congress passed the Constitutional Amendment giving women the right to vote, we also have more women serving in Congress than at any time before. That's great, very great, and congratulations. That's great. As part of our commitment to improving opportunity for women everywhere, this Thursday, we are launching the first-ever government-wide initiative focused on economic empowerment for women in developing countries. To build on, thank you. To build on our incredible economic success, one priority is paramount, reversing decades of calamitous trade policies. So bad. We are now making it clear to China that after years of targeting our industries and stealing our intellectual property, the theft of American jobs and wealth has come to an end. For we recently imposed tariffs on $250 billion of Chinese goods, and now our Treasury is receiving billions and billions of dollars. But I don't blame China for taking advantage of us. I blame our leaders and representatives for allowing this travesty to happen. I have great respect for President Xi, And we are now working on a new trade deal with China. But it must include real structural change to end unfair trade practices, reduce our chronic trade deficit, and protect American jobs. Another historic trade blunder was the catastrophe known as NAFTA. I have met the men and women of Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, New Hampshire, and many other states whose dreams were shattered by the signing of NAFTA. For years, politicians promised them they would renegotiate for a better deal But no one ever tried until now. Our new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, the USMCA, will replace NAFTA and deliver for American workers like they haven't had delivered to for a long time. I hope you can pass the USMCA into law so that we can bring back our manufacturing jobs in even greater numbers expand American agriculture, protect intellectual property, and ensure that more cars are proudly stamped with our four beautiful words. Made in the USA. Tonight, I am also asking you to pass the United States Reciprocal Trade Act so that if another country places an unfair tariff on an American product, we can charge them the exact same tariff on the exact same product that they sell to us. Both parties should be able to unite for a great rebuilding of America's crumbling infrastructure. I know that Congress is eager to pass an infrastructure bill. And I am eager to work with you on legislation to deliver new and important infrastructure investment, including investments in the cutting-edge industries of the future. This is not an option. This is a necessity. The next major priority for me and for all of us should be to lower the cost of health care. And prescription drugs, and to protect patients with pre existing conditions. Already as a result of my administration's efforts in 2018, drug prices experienced their single largest decline in 46 years. But we must do more. It's unacceptable that Americans pay vastly more than people in other countries for the exact same drugs often made in the exact same place. This is wrong. This is unfair. And together, we will stop it, and we'll stop it fast. I am asking Congress to pass legislation that finally takes on the problem of global freeloading and delivers fairness and price transparency for American patients, finally. We should also require drug companies, insurance companies, and hospitals to disclose real prices to foster competition and bring costs way down No force in history has done more to advance the human condition than American freedom. In recent years, In recent years, we have made remarkable progress in the fight against HIV and AIDS. Scientific breakthroughs have brought a once-distant dream within reach. My budget will ask Democrats and Republicans to make the needed commitment to eliminate the HIV epidemic in the United States within 10 years. We have made incredible strides, incredible. Together, we will defeat AIDS in America and beyond. Tonight, I am also asking you to join me in another fight that all Americans can get behind, the fight against childhood cancer. Joining Melania in the gallery this evening is a very brave 10-year-old girl, Grace Eline. Every birthday, Hi, Grace. Every birthday since she was four, Grace asked her friends to donate to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. She did not know that one day she might be a patient herself. That's what happened. Last year, Grace was diagnosed with brain cancer. Immediately, she began radiation treatment. At the same time, she rallied her community and raised more than $40,000 for the fight against cancer. When Grace completed treatment last fall, her doctors and nurses cheered — they loved her, they still love her — with tears in their eyes as she hung up a poster that read, Last Day of Chemo. Thank you very much, Grace. You are a great inspiration to everyone in this room. Thank you very much. Many childhood cancers have not seen new therapies in decades. My budget will ask Congress for $500 million over the next 10 years to fund this critical life-saving research. To help support working parents, the time has come to pass school choice for Americans' children. I am also proud to be the first president to include in my budget a plan for nationwide paid family leave so that every new parent has the chance to bond with their newborn child. There could be no greater contrast to the beautiful image of a mother holding her infant child than the chilling displays our nation saw in recent days. Lawmakers in New York cheered with delight upon the passage of legislation that would allow a baby to be ripped from the mother's womb moments from birth. These are living, feeling, beautiful babies who will never get the chance to share their love and their dreams with the world. And then we had the case of the governor of Virginia, where he stated he would execute a baby after birth. To defend the dignity of every person, I am asking Congress to pass legislation to prohibit the late term abortion of children who can feel pain in the mother's womb. Let us work together to build a culture that cherishes innocent life. And let us reaffirm a fundamental truth. All children, born and unborn, are made in the holy image of God. The final part of my agenda is to protect American security. Over the last two years, we have begun to fully rebuild the United States military with $700 billion last year and $716 billion this year. We are also getting other nations to pay their fair share. Finally. For years, the United States was being treated very unfairly by friends of ours, members of NATO. But now we have secured, over the last couple of years, more than $100 billion of increase in defense spending from our NATO allies. They said it couldn't be done. As part of our military buildup, the United States is developing a state-of-the-art missile defense system. Under my administration, we will never apologize for advancing America's interests. For example, decades ago, the United States entered into a treaty with Russia in which we agreed to limit and reduce our missile capability. While we followed the agreement and the rules to the letter, Russia repeatedly violated its terms. It's been going on for many years. That is why I announced that the United States is officially withdrawing from the Intermediate-Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, or INF Treaty. Perhaps, have no choice. Perhaps we can negotiate a different agreement, adding China and others. Or perhaps we can't, in which case we will outspend and out-innovate all others by far. As part of a bold new diplomacy, we continue our historic push for peace on the Korean Peninsula. Our hostages have come home, nuclear testing has stopped, and there has not been a missile launch in more than 15 months. If I had not been elected President of the United States, we would right now, in my opinion, be in a major war with North Korea. Yeah. Much work remains to be done, but my relationship with Kim Jong-un is a good one. Chairman Kim and I will meet again on February 27th and 28th in Vietnam. Two weeks ago, the United States officially recognized the legitimate government of Venezuela and its new president, Juan Guaido. We stand with the Venezuelan people in their noble quest for freedom And we condemn the brutality of the Maduro regime, whose socialist policies have turned that nation from being the wealthiest in South America into a state of abject poverty and despair. Here in the United States, we are alarmed by the new calls to adopt socialism in our country. America was founded on liberty and independence, and not government coercion, domination, and control. We are born free, and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. One of the most complex set of challenges we face and have for many years is in the Middle East. Our approach is based on principle realism, not discredited theories that have failed for decades to yield progress. For this reason, my administration recognized the true capital of Israel, and proudly opened the American embassy in Jerusalem. Our brave troops have now been fighting in the Middle East for almost 19 years. In Afghanistan and Iraq, nearly 7,000 American heroes have given their lives. More than 52,000 Americans have been badly wounded. We have spent more than $7 trillion in fighting wars in the Middle East. As a candidate for president, I loudly pledged a new approach. Great nations do not fight endless wars. When I took office, ISIS controlled more than 20,000 square miles in Iraq, and Syria just two years ago. Today, we have liberated virtually all of the territory from the grip of these bloodthirsty monsters. Now, as we work with our allies to destroy the remnants of ISIS, it is time to give our brave warriors in Syria a warm welcome home. I have also accelerated our negotiations to reach, if possible, a political settlement in Afghanistan. The opposing side is also very happy to be negotiating. Our troops have fought with unmatched valor, and thanks to their bravery, we are now able to pursue a possible political solution to this long and bloody conflict. In Afghanistan, my administration is holding constructive talks with a number of Afghan groups, including the Taliban. As we make progress in these negotiations, we will be able to reduce our troops' presence and focus on counterterrorism. And we will, indeed, focus on counterterrorism. We do not know whether we'll achieve an agreement, but we do know that after two decades of war, The hour has come to at least try for peace, and the other side would like to do the same thing. It's time. Above all, friend and foe alike must never doubt this nation's power and will to defend our people. Eighteen years ago, violent terrorists attacked the USS Cole. And last month, American forces killed one of the leaders of that attack. We are honored to be joined tonight by Tom Wibberley, whose son, Navy Seaman Craig Wibberley, was one of the 17 sailors we tragically lost. Tom, we vow to always remember the heroes of the USS Cole. Thank you, Tom. The administration has acted decisively to confront the world's leading state sponsor of terror, the radical regime in Iran. It is a radical regime. They do bad, bad things. To ensure this corrupt dictatorship never acquires nuclear weapons, I withdrew the United States from the disastrous Iran nuclear deal. And last fall, we put in place the toughest sanctions ever imposed by us on a country. We will not avert our eyes from a regime that chants death to America and threatens genocide against the Jewish people. We must never ignore the vile poison of anti-Semitism or those who spread its venomous creed. With one voice, we must confront this hatred anywhere and everywhere it occurs. Just months ago, 11 Jewish Americans were viciously murdered in an anti-Semitic attack on the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. SWAT officer Timothy Matson raced into the gunfire and was shot seven times chasing down the killer. And he was very successful. Timothy has just had his 12th surgery, and he's going in for many more. But he made the trip to be here with us tonight. Officer Matson, please. Thank you. We are forever grateful. Thank you very much. Tonight, we are also joined by Pittsburgh survivor Judah Samet. He arrived at the synagogue as the massacre began. But not only did Judah narrowly escape death last fall, more than seven decades ago, he narrowly survived the Nazi concentration camps. Today is Judah's 81st birthday. They wouldn't do that for me, Judah. (laughs) Judah says he can still remember the exact moment nearly 75 years ago, after 10 months in a concentration camp, when he and his family were put on a train and told they were going to another camp. Suddenly, the train screeched to a very strong halt. A soldier appeared. Judah's family braced for the absolute worst. Then his father cried out with joy, it's the Americans, it's the Americans. second Holocaust survivor who is here tonight, Joshua Kaufman, was a prisoner at Dachau. He remembers watching through a hole in the wall of a cattle car as American soldiers rolled in with tanks. To me, Joshua recalls, the American soldiers were proof that God exists. And they came down from the sky. They came down from heaven. I began this evening by honoring three soldiers who fought on D-Day in the Second World War. One of them was Herman Zajcik. But there is more to Herman's story. A year after he stormed the beaches of Normandy, Herman was one of the American soldiers who helped liberate Dachau. was one of the Americans who helped rescue Joshua from that hell on Earth. Almost 75 years later, Herman and Joshua are both together in the gallery tonight, seated side by side here in the home of American freedom. Herman and Joshua, your presence this evening is very much Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. When American soldiers set out beneath the dark skies over the English Channel in the early hours of D-Day 1944, they were just young men of 18 and 19 hurtling on fragile landing craft toward the most momentous battle in the history of war. They did not know if they would survive the hour They did not know if they would grow old. But they knew that America had to prevail. Their cause was this nation and generations yet unborn. Why did they do it? They did it for America. They did it for us. Everything that has come since our triumph over communism, our giant leaps of science and discovery, our unrivaled progress towards equality and justice. All of it is possible thanks to the blood and tears and courage and vision of the Americans who came before. Think of this capital. Think of this very chamber where lawmakers before you voted to end slavery, to build the railroads and the highways, and defeat fascism, to secure civil rights, and to face down evil empires. Here tonight, we have legislators from across this magnificent republic. You have come from the rocky shores of Maine and the volcanic peaks of Hawaii, from the snowy woods of Wisconsin and the red deserts of Arizona, from the green farms of Kentucky and the golden beaches of California. Together, we represent the most extraordinary nation in all of history. What will we do with this moment? How will we be remembered? I ask the men and women of this Congress, look at the opportunities before us. Our most thrilling achievements are still ahead. Our most exciting journeys still await. Our biggest victories are still to come. We have not yet begun to dream. We must choose whether we are defined by our differences or whether we dare to transcend them. We must choose whether we squander our great inheritance or whether we proudly declare that we are Americans. We do the incredible. We defy the impossible. We conquer the unknown. This is the time to reignite the American imagination. This is the time to search for the tallest summit and set our sights on the brightest star. This is the time to rekindle the bonds of love and loyalty and memory that link us together as citizens, as neighbors, as patriots. This is our future, our fate, and our choice to make. I am asking you to choose greatness. No matter the trials we face, no matter the challenges to come, We must go forward together. We must keep America first in our hearts. We must keep freedom alive in our souls. And we must always keep faith in America's destiny. That one nation, under God, must be the hope and the promise and the light and the glory among all the nations of the world. Thank you. God bless you, and, and God, God bless, bless America. America. Thank you very much. Well, there you have it, Donald
1: Trump, uh, wrapping up his State Thank of the God. Union address. It's 9:30 on the dot as he wraps up, and we'll take down that feed just there for a second. We'll try and get a feed of uh, Trump as he goes around, shakes some hands, and uh, does some other things. But yeah, he ended uh, right there on the dot, 9:30. Uh, at ten thirty or er, nine thirty, uh, Central Standard Time, ten thirty Eastern Time, and uh, he did. You know, actually, I think that was one of the best speeches he ever gave, and I say that very liberally, uh, speaking because, and, and you know, the only reason I say this, and I don't say this, um, you know, out of I, I'm being very truthful and honest in my opinion when I say this, all throughout his campaign, all throughout his even his presidency, he constantly goes. Off uh, or goes, you know, away from the teleproperty. He doesn't follow the script that his speechwriters give him. And you know, Obama uh, never used to do that. Bush never used to do that. Clinton. I mean, there are very few presidents in modern history that would co- that would go off and go off script as much as Trump does. We have uh, 48 people right now watching live on the stream for coverage of the State of the Union, and uh, you're listening right now to the Jay Doherty Podcast. We're very happy to uh, bring you this live coverage of the State of the Union. The coverage today is brought to you in part by Blueberry. If you use the code J-A-Y-D-O-H-E-R-T-Y, all one word, at checkout, when you go to Blueberry, you can get a month free and also help support the show. Blueberry does podcast hosting, affiliation, and providing, and we're so lucky to have them as our sponsor. Thank you so much, Blueberry. Let's get to the news here at the State of the Union. I took a couple notes uh, (laughs) as we went through the State of the Union. Uh, You know, I I thought that in the beginning, he was so bipartisan. I mean, almost it seemed like it was a little bit extreme. And, you know, it's hard to be extremely bipartisan. And, you know, of course, there's only words. Uh, they're not, you know, actually actions. Let's see if we can get this feed in here of uh, another camera. Let's bring in this audio feed. Where is it coming on? Uh, channel four. There he is, Donald Trump shaking the hands of many of his generals right now, and I'll kind of continue to describe exactly what's going on as the night continues. But I'll take it down just a little bit. Um, well, actually, right now he's shaking Brett Kavanaugh, Neil Gorsuch. It looks like he's coming up on John Roberts after they had a huge feud together. <laughs> Uh, but he's saying, it looks like he's saying thank you very much and other things uh, like that. But anyway, uh, let's talk about my view of his beginning bipartisanship. And as I said, when the, when this story was, you know, first airing, it was incredibly obvious that he wanted to have, uh, you know, bipartisanship, or at least he he declared that. He said, you know, we work better when we are one country, not two parties. And he, uh, you know... I think I totally agree with that statement. I, you know, I, I agree with everything about it. But he said it about four times, and his actions don't reflect his statements. So, you know, that that's my little take on uh, that. Because it is, I mean, you know, if he if he wants to do that and if he wants to have unity, then he should not only say it but also do it. The other thing that I thought was really interesting, and I just I have this notebook. And I circled it, and I wrote, Nixon, 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 Nixon. He said, peace does not equal partisan investigation. He says, and I, I'm not even, and you just heard it in the live coverage, if there is going to be peace in legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. It just doesn't work that way. And if you listen back, Even the Republicans hesitated to clap for that one because it sounded so Nixon-like. Of course, he did get a big roaring applause as it went on, but, you know, I don't know. It's just crazy. It's really... uh, He shouldn't say that. I mean, that is so Nixon-like. Nixon said basically the same thing. It's almost a Nixon line. And he continues to walk through uh, the hallway of the chamber, trying to make his way out of the chamber, shaking a bunch of hands, giving a bunch of signatures as I'm speaking. We're awaiting the address of Stacy Abrams, the response, the rebuttal to Donald Trump, which of course is already pre written. Doesn't matter what he says or how he says it. It's gonna be the same speech. Although I'm interested to see, you know, she was uh the Georgia governor, the former Georgia governor, and uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what she says, even though it's already been written. I mean, basically she'll counter everything as any debater would. The statement from Trump so, that'll be interesting. Trump now will go home, and uh, after he, you know, makes his way out of uh, the State of the Union Hall, he'll go home and basically probably turn on CNN and CBS to see what Colbert says to him. Oh, and uh, he will also say, uh, you know, look at CNN. And uh, yeah, so, in, in, you know, I, I th- what what's uh, interesting about this is, you know, he constantly, and I've said this before, complains about the news media, but I think what he does is he will go and look at all these, uh, you know, news agencies, and, you know, when you see Colbert, actually, he has a special live event, uh, tonight, and he has the whole cast of the very liberal CBS, uh, This Morning Show coming onto his show to basically criticize Trump, and, um, I don't think he'll be too happy about that, and Nancy Pelosi and, uh, Mike Pence are still up at the podium or at the uh, top of the chamber here, and uh, we'll try and get the feedback in. And yeah. that's what it sounds like in the uh, chamber room. Everyone, of course, very desperate to s- you know get a picture with Donald Trump or get a signature. But uh, that's what it looks like. Pretty ambient at the moment. And uh, he did a great job, in my opinion. Actually, you know, he didn't write the speech. Obviously, uh, he did. He stuck to teleprompter pretty harshly. But he did a good job in his speech. That's what I think. And you know, if you took if you took everything he said and just based his whole presidency and the future of it on that speech, he'd be the greatest president in the history of the world. Although, in my opinion, he is one of the worst. So, you know, the other thing he touched on was and we'll fade that out. She the two faces houses theatrical now- measures that you know the government uh, takes, but. What I thought was interesting is uh, the 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 minority presentation. the the the, the more increasingly, ex- at least historically within his presidency, he's been promoting women. He's promo- he's been promoting uh, you know Hispanics, African Americans, uh, uh, you know Asian people, and other people of you know some sort of minority. Basically, I'm saying the non-white Irish Christian heterosexual male to other positions and allowing them to come in to the government. He said, and I wrote this down, all Americans can be proud that we, even, that we have more women in the workforce than ever before and exactly one century after Congress passed the constitutional amendment giving women the right to vote, we also have more women serving in Congress than ever before. And uh, he actually, uh, all, all the women, and you'll see this if you watch the video, uh, all the women were wearing white, and I guess in protest of Trump, as they did last year, and, uh, I thought it was pretty, it was interesting, uh, because when he, when he said that, uh, it was, you know, all the women started dancing and standing up, and were very, very happy, uh, you know, that Donald Trump said that, and, uh, you know, I don't know, (laughs) it was just funny, uh, you know, I, I thought they had a good response, although he did, uh, when, when women cheered, uh, you know, from what I saw, and I might have just been rushing over this a little bit, he interrupted them just, you know, a little bit, as, as he frequently does with the cheer, you know, people who are cheering for him, but, uh, that's, that's what he said, um, you know, um, let's see, what else, uh, I don't know, I mean, uh, I'm looking through my notes here, I have a Google Doc and a notebook, but let's see here, um, There was also a thing where, and I've never seen this before, well, two things I've never seen. Number one, they started shouting and chanting, USA, USA, USA. You know, that was a thing that uh, he, he had people do all over and all throughout his campaign. That was one of the hallmark things. He even sells these USA hats, as we normally see, almost in replacement of the Make America Great Again hats, at least, you know, modernly. And I thought that was that was interesting the the you know, they the Republicans were chanting USA and uh, declaring their national pride for sovereignty as I like to call it. Um, but yeah, overall I think, you know, I have said this, I think it was a very nice moment for all the parties um because it for both parties for even independence, I would say. I mean, the, the theme was of course, his self self-proclaimed theme is choosing greatness. But I believe it's more bipartisanship or vocal bipartisanship because I'm sure in one or two days later, you know, he has this very concise, cordial speech with uh, Democrats and Republicans wanting to work together. But the next day, he'll attack someone. Speaking of attacking someone, he called out the investigation, not only in that one time where he compared it to Warren investigation, he also called out... The Mueller investigation as being a, quote, ridiculous partisan investigation, and when he said that, the camera cut right to Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, who is leading the, who is, you know, in terms of the Senate, he's uh, co-leading the investigation, Robert Mueller's special counsel investigation into collusion with the uh, Trump-Russia campaign, he was sitting, I believe, next to his wife or some colleague of his, and they both started, you know, his wife started laughing, I don't want to assume that's his wife, I'm not sure, but the woman next to him started laughing, and uh, he kind of just smirked, and, uh, you know, so we'll see what happens. He didn't seem to be, uh, you know, particularly, uh, I don't know what, what would be the word, Um, uh, angry, but, you know, he seems to, at least historically, fight back more with with action than with words, so we'll see what happens on that, um, the other thing that I wanted to mention about cutting the camera to, when he mentioned socialism, you know, it's really, I think it's one, one, uh, switcher, one network does all the tricasting for the whole event, so they're doing the camera switching for the whole event, and it's one, one network doing it, And, uh, they, all the networks cut right to Bernie Sanders and or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez when you heard even the slightest mention of socialism, which was only once or twice in the speech, but I thought that was interesting to point out. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, there were a lot of eye rolls, you know, it wasn't all bipartisan, but... Uh, a couple people I wrote down, uh, Nancy Pelosi was clapping at Trump and, like, very obnoxiously, at least that's how I saw it. Because, uh, you know, relative to the other time she clapped, it wasn't as obnoxious, at least the way I saw it. So, yeah, that, that happened and I didn't really expect that to happen because normally Nancy Pelosi, at least in person, is pretty, pretty uh, put together and, you know, doesn't buy into Trump's rhetoric too much. Um, Chuck Schumer, of course, the House Minority Leader and uh, senator from uh, New York was uh, pretty, you know, just ignored him basically the whole time. Kamala Harris, who's running for president, mostly I would say for political reasons, just basically ignored him and kind of uh, looked at him and saying, you know, what the heck are you doing up there? Kind of just looking at him like she was confused and Karen Gillibrand, the other one who's running for uh uh, excuse me, for president, had a bunch of uh, dirty looks given to the president, or at least to the camera over there. And I'm getting word now that uh, Stacey Abrams is about to come to the podium. Let's bring another feed in from the Associated Press to see if we have...
2: ...unity that has driven me to become an attorney, a small business owner, a writer, and most recently, the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia. My reason for running Sorry about
1: that quick uh, cut there. I don't know what that was. My feed must have gone out. Let's uh, listen in to Stacey Abrams.
2: And I stand here tonight because I hold fast to my father's credo. Together, we are coming for America, for a better America. Just a few weeks ago, I joined volunteers to distribute meals to furloughed federal workers. They waited in line for a box of food and a sliver of hope since they hadn't received paychecks in weeks. Making livelihoods of our federal workers a pawn for political games is a disgrace. The shutdown was a stunt, engineered by the President of the United States, one that defied every tenet of fairness and abandoned not just our people, but our values. For seven years, I led the Democratic Party in the Georgia House of Representatives, I didn't always agree with the Republican speaker or governor, but I understood that our constituents didn't care about our political parties, they cared about their lives. So when we had to negotiate criminal justice reform or transportation or foster care improvements, the leaders of our state didn't shut down, we came together and we kept our word. It should be no different in our nation's capital. We may come from different sides of the political aisle, our joint commitment to the ideals of this nation cannot be negotiable our most urgent work is to realize americans dreams of today and tomorrow to carve a path to independence and prosperity that can last a lifetime children deserve an excellent education from cradle to career we owe them safe schools and the highest standards regardless of zip code Yet this White House responds timidly, while first graders practice active shooter drills, and the price of higher education grows ever steeper. From now on, our leaders must be willing to tackle gun safety measures and face the crippling effect of educational loans, to support educators and invest what is necessary to unleash the power of America's greatest minds. In Georgia and around the country, people are striving for a middle class, where a salary truly equals economic security. But instead, families' hopes are being crushed by Republican leadership that ignores real life or just doesn't understand it. Under the current administration, far too many hardworking Americans are falling behind, living paycheck to paycheck, most without labor unions to protect them from even worse harm. The Republican tax bill rigged the system against working people. Rather than bringing back jobs, plants are closing, layoffs are looming, and wages struggle to keep pace with the actual cost of living. We owe more to the millions of everyday folks who keep our economy running, like truck drivers forced to buy their own rigs, farmers caught in a trade war, small business owners in search of capital, and domestic workers serving without labor protections women and men who could thrive if only they had the support and freedom to do so we know bipartisanship could craft a 21st century immigration plan but this administration chooses to cage children and tear families apart compassionate treatment at the border is not the same as open borders president reagan understood this president obama understood this americans understand this and Democrats stand ready to effectively secure our ports and borders. But we must all embrace that from agriculture to healthcare to entrepreneurship, America is made stronger by the presence of immigrants, not walls. And rather than suing to dismantle the Affordable Care Act as Republican attorneys general have, our leaders must protect the progress we've made and commit to expanding healthcare and lowering costs for everyone. My father has battled prostate cancer for years. To help cover the cost, I found myself sinking deeper into debt, because while you can defer some payments, you can't defer cancer treatment. In this great nation, Americans are skipping blood pressure pills, forced to choose between buying medicine or paying rent. Maternal mortality rates show that mothers, especially black mothers, risk death to give birth. And in 14 states, including my home state, where a majority want it, our leaders refuse to expand Medicaid, which could save rural hospitals, save economies and save lives. We can do so much more take action on climate change, defend individual liberties with fair minded judges. But none of these ambitions are possible without the bedrock guarantee of our right to vote. Let's be clear voter suppression is real from making it harder to register and stay on the rolls to moving and closing polling places to rejecting lawful ballots we can no longer ignore these threats to democracy while i acknowledge the results of the 2018 election here in georgia i did not and we cannot accept efforts to undermine our right to vote that's why i started a nonpartisan organization called Fair Fight, to advocate for voting rights. This is the next battle for our democracy, one where all eligible citizens can have their say about the vision we want for our country. We must reject the cynicism that says allowing every eligible vote to be cast and counted is a power grab. Americans understand that these are the values our brave men and women in uniform and our veterans risk their lives to defend. The foundation of our moral leadership around the globe is free and fair elections, where voters pick their leaders, not where politicians pick their voters. In this time of division and crisis, we must come together and stand for and with one another. America has stumbled time and again on its quest towards justice and equality. But with each generation, we have revisited our fundamental truths And where we falter, we make amends. We fought Jim Crow with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Yet we continue to confront racism from our past and in our present, which is why we must hold everyone from the highest offices to our own families accountable for racist words and deeds and call racism what it is, wrong. America achieved a measure of reproductive justice in Roe v. Wade, but we must never forget, it is immoral to allow politicians to harm women and families to advance a political agenda. We affirmed marriage equality, and yet the LGBTQ community remains under attack. So, even as I am very disappointed by the president's approach to our problems, I still don't want him to fail. But we need him to tell the truth and to respect his duties and respect the extraordinary diversity that defines America. Our progress has always been found in the refuge, in the basic instinct of the American experiment, to do right by our people. And with a renewed commitment to social and economic justice, we will create a stronger America together. Because America wins by fighting for our shared values against all enemies, foreign, and domestic that is who we are and when we do so never wavering the state of our union will always be strong thank you and may god bless the united states of america Stacey
1: abrams right there uh giving the democratic response to the state of the union and uh yeah she's right there and uh yeah and she did a good job i thought Obviously, it's, she didn't touch on any specific issues that uh, President Trump uh, specifically, you know, talked about. Although she did, I think she did a pretty good job. And uh, we have that feed coming in there, thanks to the Associated Press, who I really, really, really like. I've been giving non-biased news, no affiliation or anything with that. But uh, Stacey Abrams right there at the podium. Giving that response, that rebuttal to Donald Trump. The one thing I thought that she... And I'll end the stream quickly, because I know it's getting pretty late. But, uh... Yeah. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Let's fade that out and our way in. And that was probably way too loud. Yeah, super loud. Uh, But that's uh, Stacey Abrams right there. She just gave the response. And what I thought was really interesting about her response in particular was that one line where she said, I don't want him to fail, but I disagree with the approach that he is taking to our fundamental problems. And I thought that was a really good line, one that uh, many uh, Republicans and Democrats should uh, embrace more so than just spewing out uh, stuff that you're not going to actually take action on, like uh, Trump partially did within the, uh, in my opinion, in the State of the Union Address. So, that's what happened there, and uh, wow, we are at, let's see how long we've been on the air, two hours and four minutes, one of the longest episodes of the podcast I've ever done, actually probably the longest, and uh, I'm very happy to have you here with me. The show today brought to you in part, of course, again, by Blue Bree, the State of the Union Address uh, especially, and... uh, was brought to you by Blueberry so we use the code J-A-Y-D-O-H-E-R-T-Y all in one full word you can get month free off of Blueberry's service and support the show thanks so much for being here we'll we'll be back uh, tomorrow to talk about the latest political news see you then